There was a time in my life when I spent a fair bit of time traveling. And when traveling, there often is, you know, you have a chance to get to know people in a new place, spend some time ministering there. And of course, they want to express their gratitude and appreciation, and so they will find a way to give you a gift. You know what I'm talking about? Um, and in, in different cultures, those gifts can be different things, as you might well imagine. In some cultures, you know, they will give you some photographs. In other cultures, they may give you something like a, you know, some sort of a carving or a piece of wood. In, in other cultures, they may, they may give you some article of, of clothing, which is very different than an article of clothing that you and I would normally wear. I remember one time there was a group of us in a country, and um, they gave us all local clothes. And um, it's not just that they give you clothes. They then want you to put it on and wear it for them. They can take pictures of it. And let me tell you, these are some clothes like you wouldn't normally be seen in. Um, redefining fashion, I guess you might say. But um, other times I've gotten gifts that, well, they were really, really beautiful and really, really treasured. In fact, I have boxes of them at home, um, more than I could probably display, little carvings, little things. Um, and sometimes they give you gifts that you really don't know how to use. Um, some of those gifts, I must confess, never made it past the airport. Um, some of them wouldn't fit in my luggage. Some of them wouldn't go through security. Um, you know, there's only so much you can do to take some of these gifts home. And I remember there was one, there was one man in Russia who, during the course of my meetings there, um, we were studying in the Bible the, the, uh, the Bible's instructions that we shouldn't use um, idols or icons in our worship services. And um, this man particularly, a good, good, very uh, sincere and, and very earnest Orthodox believer, um, he argued with me very vehemently about this use of what they call icons in the Orthodox Church, um, they, he said, you know, this is, just, this, is just, this is just part of our worship service. And um, I'll never forget that on our last day there, it wasn't a, any type of a, 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 a going away party. It was just part of our, it was one of our evangelistic meetings. Uh, this man came down to the front, and people were all there, people were watching, and he gave me a gift. In fact, I brought that gift here for you today. Um, he gave me this gift, and it's beautiful, isn't it? Um, it's a beautiful gift, and um, he has written on the back of it something which I can't read because it's in Russian. Um, I can make out my name, Chesitur Kalarki, um, and he has his name, and he has the na I can make out the name of the city we're in, Rupsovsk, which is in Siberia. Um, but he gave me this gift, and he wanted me to he wanted to see what I would do, because this, he let me know, is an icon. Would Chester Clark take an icon? Would he accept the gift? This was the, the challenge that he gave to me, and I had to explain to him, it looks like part of it's come apart through the years, but um, I had to explain to him I'd accept it. It's a beautiful wood piece, a beautiful picture of, of Jesus. But I accept it as a gift, as a picture, not as an icon, <laughs> because I don't worship or use these type of things in my worship. I pray, I pray to Jesus directly, who, though he's a spirit, we can trust that he is real. And, um, you know, I've never forgotten that man, though, partly because of his gift, right? And uh, because of that gift, that remembrance, I've often reminded of him. And I just came across this. In fact, when my, my sister was here a couple of weeks ago, she brought a, a box of things from Arkansas that they'd found in a closet or something, and, and this was one of them. And I remembered that man. And so here we are talking about a gift. And, and Jesus, as he's about to leave the disciples, he begins thinking, what can I do to assure them of continuity? He knew there would be a drastic change in his 
in their experience. He knew that they had become accustomed to having Jesus in body, in person. If they had questions, they could ask Him, and they often did. Many of them are recorded in the, in the Gospels. If they had problems, they could come to Him for solutions, and they often did. Sometimes they had ideas, some good ideas, some bad ideas. And they could bounce those ideas off of Jesus, and Jesus could tell them either, you know, that's, that's wholly inappropriate, uh, get thee behind me, Satan, or he could say, that's a great idea, you know? And so they were accustomed to Jesus being there, and now he was going to be gone. And notice with me, if you turn with me to John chapter 14, in John chapter 14, we begin to, to notice Jesus, he's, he's in his last week of his ministry. Many people don't realize about the book of John, the majority of the book of John covers only the last seven days of Jesus' life, um, the beginning with his last week and going onward, back all the way to John chapter 9 or 10 or somewhere around there. But if we begin with John chapter 14, Jesus is obviously thinking about the, um, about the, the, the fact that he's leaving and he begins in John chapter 14, and he, in a number of places he makes this type of statement. He talks about John chapter 14 and verse 16. He says, Even, uh, it says, And I will pray the Father, and He will give you, what? Another comforter. Now, you have to wonder, what does He mean by another comforter? Another means there has to be more than one, Right? So who's the first comforter that he's going to be giving, uh, or that he's referring to here? The Holy Spirit is going to be another comforter. Who would the first comforter be? Jesus, right? In fact, he is called by Isaiah. It's one of the names of Christ. And so he's going to give you another comforter that he may abide with you how long? Forever. Now this has got to be good news for the disciples. The disciples have, have not yet comprehended that Jesus is leaving, you know, He's just in, in, in John chapter 14, just a few verses earlier, he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And the disciples, Thomas says, um, Lord, can't we go with you? Um, you know, um, we don't know how you're going and how do we know the way and, and so forth. And, and, oh, Jesus must have just sometimes felt like throwing up his hands. These disciples just couldn't get it. But he's promising them words that they would recall later, evidence that they would experience later, He's promising them another comforter that would abide forever. Even, verse 17, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it sees Him not, neither knows Him. But you know Him, for He dwells with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. And so Jesus here promises to His disciples He would send the Comforter. Now, this would be a theme that over the next few days, the last few days of His time with them, He would repeat over and over. If you look in John chapter 15, John chapter 15 and verse 26, John 15 and verse 26, just the next chapter, Jesus says, but when the Comforter, He's referring again to that gift that the Father is going to give to them, when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceeds from the Father, He shall testify of who? Of me. And you also shall bear witness. You see, this is what Jesus is saying. That, that when, the, when the Spirit comes, when the Comforter comes, He's not just going to keep you company. He's going to remind you of the things that I have taught you. He's going to remind you of how I handled certain situations. Have you ever heard of being Christ-like or being like Jesus or maybe even being Christians? Do you know the, the, the believers in Antioch were the first ones that were called Christians? And we believe it's not just a derogatory term because they, they, they talked about Jesus all the time. It's because they reflected the character of Christ. They were everything they did reminded people of Jesus. And how is that possible? Well, a Holy Spirit would come that would remind them of Jesus. Now, this is a gift that would be with the church for how long? Forever, Forever he says. 
So you might scratch your head and say, well, how in the world? Okay, I understand. This makes sense. Peter and, and you know, Thomas and, and uh, Philip and, and, and the others. I understand. They, they'd been with Jesus for three and a half years. So the Spirit would remind them a certain person would come with a question or with a challenge or with a certain situation. And, and the Holy Spirit could remind them, ah, oh, that's how Jesus took care of that. That's how Jesus responded. That's how Jesus would reply. And they could be Christ-like because of the gift of the Spirit. We get that, right? But how about those of us living 2,000 years later? We didn't spend two, three and a half years with Jesus. We didn't see him as he was healing the sick and teaching the people. Well, the good news is, while we weren't there, we do have the record. Amen? And the Spirit which was given to the church is still given to remind us of Jesus. How does he do it now? As we spend time in the Word of God, it's just ink on paper. But with the gift of the Spirit, that ink on paper can be translated into living like Jesus would live. Aren't you thankful for the gift of the Spirit? It, turning ink on paper into an understanding of who Jesus is and what He would do, what He would say, how He would live. In fact, it's even more clearly elucidated in the following chapter, John chapter 16. Look with me there. The next chapter, John chapter 16 and again, the promise is repeated, verse 7 and onward. John chapter 16 and verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For I go, if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Now, I have some question about what Jesus meant by this verse. And, you know, we don't have... There are some things we're just going to ask Jesus when we get to heaven, Right? We don't have uh, a complete understanding. I'm wondering, if it's, the, if it's the Holy Spirit could not be there because Jesus was there, that to me doesn't make the most sense because it seems as though the Holy Spirit was already working in the church, even in the Old Testament. We'll talk about that in a little while. But what I think what was the truth of what Jesus was saying was the church would not be able to receive the Holy Spirit, would not realize its need for the Holy Spirit unless He left. And should He leave... The Spirit would not have the confines that He Himself had. You know, Jesus, when He became a human being, He took on humanity. He no longer had the, some of the qualities of God, like omnipresence. Before He became human, like the Father, like the Spirit, I suppose Jesus, I believe Jesus could be everywhere at once. That's something we don't completely understand, but we believe, right? After He would leave the Comforter would have that gift once again and would be able not just to be in Jerusalem or in Capernaum or, or wherever it was, one village at a time. The Holy Spirit could be everywhere. And so he says, it's necessary for you that I go away. But if I, for if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, notice, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Oh, those are sad words, aren't they? <laughs> Don't you wish sometimes the disciples had just been a little more mature? And Jesus could have said what was on his heart. Then we'd be benefiting from it too if it was recorded here, you know. But it's the same with us, isn't it? It really is. Because, of our, uh, because our hearts are sort of slow to learn and sometimes hard-hearted, there's a lot of things Jesus wants to teach us. He can't teach them all at once. But listen to the promise. How be it when he, verse 13, John 16, 13, Howbeit when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into what? All truth. What a wonderful promise. He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak of Himself, but whatever He hears, that He will speak, and He will show you things to come. He will glorify Me, for He shall receive of Me and show it unto you. And so if we were to summarize some of the things that the Spirit does, or we learn from these passages, the Spirit is given to comfort the believers in the absence of Jesus. The Spirit is given to remind us of the acts and the teachings of Jesus, to translate those, that ink on paper into actual 
words and acts that we can be like Jesus today. To bring conviction of sin and guidance into truth, and not just into truth, into all truth, Jesus said. What a, what a powerful thought that the Spirit can do for us. To bring about our adoption to the heavenly family. Let's look now in Romans chapter 8. I want you to see this. This is another promise of the Spirit, not spoken by Jesus, but the Apostle Paul. Romans chapter 8, I want you to see that this gift that Jesus was promising has a has a has another name here not just the comforter not just the spirit of truth but here in Romans chapter 8 and verse 15 I want you to see this Romans chapter 8 and verse 15 Paul says for you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear but you have received the what spirit of adoption whereby we cry Abba Father as part of the gift that God gives us we are adopted into the family of God. This gift is just getting better, isn't it? We become brothers and sisters of Jesus, the Son of God. And we can address God the Father as Abba, Father. It's, that's uh, sort of like saying Papa, Father, or, or Daddy, Father. I think I'm having battery problems today. I'm sorry. Um, evidently. Hold on one second. So we have the privilege of, of crying, Abba, Father. Notice with me the verse before that, in verse 14. It says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the what? Sons of God. So if we're led by the Spirit of God, if we've received this gift of the Spirit of adoption, if we are led by the Spirit of God, He says we are the sons of God. Isn't that powerful? Isn't it powerful that we can, through the Spirit, be adopted into the spiritual family. So I would, I would propose to you today that not only does the Spirit, not only is the Spirit able to adopt us, but according to verse 14, the Spirit is also able to lead us in our day-to-day -day spiritual walk. Isn't that what it says? For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So when we wake up in the morning, we don't have to feel like we're facing the day alone. Because Jesus is with us through His Spirit. And He says He's going to lead us because we're the sons of God. John chapter 1, verse 12 says, But to as many as received Him, that's receiving Jesus, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. That power comes in the form of the Holy Spirit who leads us day by day, moment by moment, that we might be led by the Spirit of God. And so I'm just so thankful that we have that privilege to be led by the Spirit of God. Am I still dying? Thank you. Um, God is good to us to give us a gift like this, to give us the opportunity to live and to grow in Him. And so this Spirit is an important gift, an important gift, and it gives power to our witness to the world. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Look with me there. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, and we're going to see what God promised the Spirit would do for us. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. And this is what the uh, promise says. Are you there? It says, but you shall receive... What does it say? Power. You shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit has come unto you. And you will be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. In other words, the Holy Spirit, once it fell upon the church, once it was given to the church, was to give the church power to witness. So this is quite a list of things the Holy Spirit is to do, isn't it? Are you thankful for the gift of the Holy Spirit today? Are you thankful that God did not leave us comfortless, but the Holy Spirit was sent to remind us of the words of Jesus, to teach us about sin and righteousness and judgment, to bring about our adoption into the heavenly family, to lead us day by day in our spiritual life, and to give, us, to give power to our witness to the world. In fact, this power was to be given in a remarkable way. Just a few verses later in Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, we read the story. 
It says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is an amazing experience, isn't it? Tongues of fire filling the upper room. The disciples filled with the Holy Spirit, given a gift to speak in what? To speak in tongues. Now, there's a lot of misunderstanding, I believe, today in the Christian world about the gift of tongues. If we read the story here, I want us to just read the story because we're going to talk briefly about the gift of tongues. Then we're going to be talking about some of the other gifts that the Holy Spirit brings to the church. But it says in verse 5, "...they were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews." devout men out of every nation under heaven. This was the Feast of Pentecost, one of the feasts when Jews would come. They often came from the Passover and would even stay until the Feast of Pentecost, 50 days later. But there would be many Jews from many different parts of the Roman Empire gathered in Jerusalem, and they would be there to celebrate the the Feast of Pentecost. And it says, When this was noised about, verse 6, the multitude came together and were confounded or troubled in mind, because every man heard them speak in his own language. Get the picture. These Jews have come. They've come into the temple to pray. The disciples have left the upper room. They go down to the temple, and they're talking. And each of these people are amazed because, you know, uh, they'd come from remote parts of the empire, and yet these uneducated fishermen, these disciples of Jesus, were speaking in language that they could understand. And it says in verse 7, they, they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and dwellers in Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and the parts of Libya around Cyrene and, and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. Wouldn't that be amazing? I'd be amazed if I were there and if I'd been born in these foreign countries and had trouble understanding the Hebrew and I was hearing now preaching in my own language. Listen, that would just be fantastic. Now, some people have thought, and I, I say this with all respect, you know, we, we have to respect those of us, those of our brothers and sisters who view the scriptures differently, but some have thought that what was happening was the disciples were speaking in a heavenly tongue. Have you ever heard that idea? That the gift of tongues is a heavenly tongue. And the, 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 the different people from all of these different disparate regions around the empire were only able to understand that heavenly language as if it were their own language. I have a little bit of a problem with that. First of all, it's not what it says. The Bible says they were speaking in these different languages. But secondly, if that was the case... The gift would not be called the gift of tongues, but the gift of ears. You understand? It would take, it would take just as a, mir- a miracle. It, you'd have to have a gift of ears to be able to understand a heavenly tongue as if it was, you know, in your local dialect. And so here the disciples, they're speaking, the Bible says, in, in these different languages. And they were all amazed. And Peter stands up and he, he says, in verse 17... Uh, Verse 16, but this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens will I pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. So Peter is here saying that this is a fulfillment of, This is a fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel. This was the gift of tongues, the gift of the Spirit that he had, um, that Joel had predicted would would come to pass. Turn with me now to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're having a Bible study today. As you know, this is another of our installments of the We Believe series, so we're looking at fundamental teachings of the scriptures as we understand them here. And 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul again addresses this question of spiritual gifts. And he talks about the gifts of the Spirit in in chapter 12, verse 7. It says, But the manifestations of the Spirit is given to every man to profit from it. Verse 8, 
For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, and to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. Now I want to pause here and I want to just point out another thought. If in fact the gift of tongues was meant to be simply the ability for humans on this earth, believers in the church, to speak the language of heaven, why would it repeatedly be referred to as different kinds of tongues? Do you catch that? If it's the language of heaven, there's only one heaven, right? There ought to be only one heavenly tongue. But here, repeatedly, you're going to see in Paul's writings, repeatedly, it talks about different tongues. There's a, there's a clue to what he's talking about. But all these works that one and selfsame Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he wills. These verses are just packed with truths. I wish we could take time to just unpack all of them. But here you notice, who chooses which, which gift we as believers receive? The Holy Spirit. Is that very clear? He divides it to every man as he wills or as he chooses. Is that what your Bible says? This means also, friends, that the Holy Spirit is not just an influence. Like, we have a spirit about us, right? The Holy Spirit is not just the influence of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. The Holy Spirit has the capacity to make decisions. Your influence, the spirit about you and me, or Jesus, does not have the capacity to make decisions and choose who's going to get what gift. Does that make sense? The Holy Spirit is a person with the power of choice, and He chooses. That's what the Bible says. He chooses which gifts we will receive. And uh, we could continue on the last verses of the chapter, chapter 12, verses 28 and onward. And God hath set some in the church. First, what does it say? Apostles. Secondarily, what? Prophets. Thirdly, teachers. After that, miracles and gifts of healing, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Where in the list does tongues appear? It's last, isn't it? Similar to what he said in the earlier part of the chapter. The only one that came after was translation, the, the ability to interpret tongues. And he goes on, he says, are all apostles? Is any one gift of these, gifts of the Spirit, going to be given to every single member? He's asking a rhetorical question. We know what the answer is, right? Is everyone given the gift of apostleship? No. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, have all the gifts of healings, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret? And the obvious answer to those questions are, is what? No. And so, with respectfully, I have to say to my, my brothers and sisters who believe that every single person who's filled with the Spirit should, give the, should have the gift of tongues, I have to say, that's just not what the Bible, my Bible tells me. My Bible tells me that we all receive different gifts. And one of those gifts is the, the gift of tongues. And Paul, by the way, we won't have time to explore this, but after this discussion, he says, but I want to show you an even better way. And what's the next chapter called? 1 Corinthians 13, what's it called? The love chapter. You know what's more important than the gifts we have? It's the love we have for one another. He says, even if I could speak with the tongues of men and of angels, if I could give my body to be burned, if I had the gift of prophecy and could explain every knowledge there is to be known under heaven, but if I don't have charity, unselfish love for my brothers and sisters who annoy me in the Dalton Seventh Adventist Church, I'm nothing. I'm like a... I'm like... I'm like a... I'm like a a buzzer that won't stop going off. You ever had someone hide an alarm clock in your room? <laughs> Annoying? We don't have time to unpack 1 Corinthians 13, brothers and sisters. But the most important thing about spiritual gifts is they're given to the church to share with one another, to be a blessing to others. And if we don't have the gift of love, we're simply going to make a nuisance of ourselves. 
God doesn't want that. After 1 Corinthians 13, he goes on, and he says in first, chapter 14, verse 1, follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts. Which one should we especially desire? Prophecy. Isn't that interesting? Not tongues, but prophecy. And he goes on in chapter 14, and he's discussing. We're not going to unpack all 14. Sometime I'm going to have a whole sermon just on chapter 14 and the gift of tongues and the history of modern glossolalia and and tongue speaking in Christianity. Very fascinating history. There's lots and lots of information we could unpack. But I want you to notice a few verses here. It appears that Paul is addressing a matter of order and, and organization in the church in Corinth. It appears that there were a bunch of people who spoke different languages who would come to church in Corinth and they wanted to let other people know that their language is important too. And he says in verse, verse 10, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 10, there are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world and none of them is without significance. But then he talks about how they would come together and they would all be speaking in tongues. And what does he say to do? Um, let, verse 13, Wherefore, let him that speaks in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. Right? Um, notice with me down in verse 27, If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two or three, or at the most by three, and that by course. And let one interpret. Notice what he's saying. Don't come to church and just have this chaos, this cacophony of noise, everybody preaching in their own language, and everyone talking and, and doing different things. At most, you need two or three speakers. Three at most, he says. And let them speak in turn or by course. Let one person speak, and when they're finished, let another person speak. Right? And when they're finished, the third person speaks. And if they're not speaking in a language everyone understands, let them do what? Let them have an interpreter. And he, the, the, the theme of the chapters are very clear. Let everything be done decently in order. God is not the God, author of confusion, but of order and of peace and harmony as it is in all the churches, right? That's what he's talking about in 1 Corinthians 14. He's talking about disorderliness versus orderliness. And he's talking here about the gift of tongues being misused and abused. Instead of being a blessing, it had become a curse. And he says, if there be no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church. Let him speak to himself and with God. What a cosmopolitan church was in Corinth. So many different nationalities, so many different languages. And Paul is speaking here about orderliness and organization. But notice with me again what he says. He says here that there's a special gift, and that's the gift of prophecy. Let's just review here of the gift of tongues. It's only one of the gifts. There are different kinds of tongues. We notice that in a number of places where in Paul's writings. There's also a gift of interpretation. Not everyone receives this gift. It is given especially for evangelism, it says in verse 22. Um, tongues are for a sign not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. It's given for reaching those who need to be reached with the message of Jesus. Whereas the gift of prophecy, in that same verse, talks about it being given for the church. Abuse of the gift by multiple speakers at once or without a translator is reproved by Paul here in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And so we notice again, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 1, follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy. Evidently, the gift of prophecy was to be one of the most important gifts in the Christian church. In fact, we notice that repeatedly it is spoken of as only second to apostleship, the gift of prophecy. Now, why would that be? We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 28. God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, and so on. The more desirable gift is the gift of prophecy. So I want to explore that a little bit with you today. I want to explore with you the fact that the gift of prophecy was given especially for the church. Um, therefore, tongues are for a sign not for those who believe, but to unbelievers, verse 22 says. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. A function of the, Old Test of the Holy Spirit, even in the Old Testament, was the gift of prophecy. Uh, turn with me there, First Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21. I want you to see this. It's very important as we explore this more. We're going to be finding our way, working our way back to our Scripture for today. And you're going to see that God has, God has made it very clear that the gifts of the Spirit are to be present in the church even to the end of time. 
First, uh, Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 21, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as, or spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Do you see that? In other words, the Old Testament Scriptures were inspired by the Holy Spirit. They were inspired by the Holy Ghost. Um, and t- turn with me now to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. You're going to notice with me something very, very important. Again, similar to our Scripture for today, our, our passage in 1 Corinthians, Ephesians chapter 4 teaches us how long these gifts are to be in the church. The Spirit was given forever. Notice with me what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 11. And he, say, and he gave some, what's the first one again? Apostles. And some, what's the second one? Prophets. And some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying or building up of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God unto a, what does it say? perfect man, mature man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, that sounds pretty much like the perfect church, right? Um, Are we there yet? So we still need the gifts of the Spirit, don't we? Then it says that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. This is the goal of God for, our, for the church, to grow up into maturity, into a perfect man, to a mature man. And the Spirit is given, these gifts are given to the church in order to make that possible, in order for that to come about. So it was also to be present under the church until the very end. First um, Corinthians 1, 6, and 7 says that, as well as Ephesians chapter 4. And let's look then, let's look at the, at the gift that was given to the prophet John. I want you to notice here a couple of things. Um, turn with me to the book of Revelation. I want us to focus on one phrase here that is found four times in the book of Revelation, as well as in our Scripture for today. Four times in the book of Revelation, we have a certain phrase paired together, two words or three words paired together, that is of significance for our topic today. Revelation chapter 1, are you there? Revelation chapter 1, we're going to read first verses 1 and 2, very first verses of the book of Revelation. It says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show unto his servants things must, which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it, or signified it, by his angel unto his servant John. You see the order of revelation here? You have God the Father giving it to Jesus. Jesus gives it to his angel. And there's one angel that appears repeatedly in the books of Daniel and Revelation. I believe it's the same angel, Gabriel. You have this angel who then gives it to the prophet, right? That's that's what it says here in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1. Now, I've always been curious. Another thing that I'm going to ask Jesus when I get to heaven. Who Who thought up these symbols? Okay. Was that Jesus' job that he gave to the angel? Or was it the angel's job? He got what's going to happen, and then he thought up the symbols and gave it to the prophet. It's not really clear to me in this verse who did it, but I'm curious. Wouldn't it be a fun job to be Gabriel if, in fact, you were given the job of making symbols for everything that was going to happen in the future? Wouldn't that be sort of cool? Um, Well, okay. I think it'd be cool. I mean, that's just... Maybe it's the way my imagination works. But anyway... um, it seems as though Jesus probably is the one who, who makes it symbols. Um, we at least believe, of course, that it's, the, uh, it's all inspired. But notice me in verse 2. Who bore record of the word of God and of the, what does it say? Testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Now, everything in that verse points to inspiration. Do you see that? 
who bore record, it says, of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all the things he saw. It's almost as if he's expressing parallel thoughts here. Notice with me verse 9, the same phrase comes back. And I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the, what does he say? Testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, what is this testimony of Jesus Christ that John is talking about? He says, he keeps referring to it, but he hasn't made it clear what this is. I want us to discover what this is. When we turn in our Bibles later in the book of Revelation, we turn to uh, verse, chapter 19 and verse 10. Revelation chapter 19, and verse 10. Are you there? And this is what it says. And I fell at his feet to worship him. This is John falling at the feet of the angel who has brought the message from Jesus, who got the message from God, right? We got that sequence in, in order, Correct. I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said to me, See thou do it not. Why would the angel not want to be worshipped by John? Very clearly. The angel, the angel is just a messenger, right? He's not God. He shouldn't be worshipped. John falls at his feet to worship him. No, don't do that, John. Notice what he says in verse 10. See thou do it not. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the what? testimony of Jesus. There's that phrase again. I am of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. I'm like one of you. I'm of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. What is the testimony of Jesus? And he says, worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the what? The spirit of prophecy. To make it very simple, friends, what John describes here on the island of Patmos, John the prophet had clearly been given the gift of prophecy. Is that, is that plain in our understanding? He wrote a significant part of the New Testament. He wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote the three epistles of John. He wrote the revelation of Jesus Christ. John had the gift of prophecy. Are we clear on that? Amen? John had the gift of prophecy. He's given this, this revelation of Jesus. He's given the revelation, and as he's about to worship the angel which had brought him this revelation, the angel says, no, I'm one of you. I like you. I'm one of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. The testimony of Jesus is nothing more and nothing less than the gift of prophecy that had been present in the church in the Old Testament. Holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, right? It's present in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit inspired men and women, uh, men in the New Testament, to write down the writings of, of, of the New Testament so that we could have it today. I'm of your brethren, the prophets, I'm of thy, it says, I'm of thy brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. You that, see that phrase? Revelation 19, verse 10. Are you with me on that? I am of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Turn with me now to Revelation chapter 22 and verse 9. The exact same thing happens. Except if it's not clear already, the angel now makes it very clear by the use, substitution of one phrase for one word. Revelation 22 and verse 9. John is about to fall down and worship the angel in verse 8. And then he says to me, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren... What does it say then? Remember what it said in 1910? I am of thy brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Now he says, For I am of thy brethren the prophets. Are you clear? Is this making sense? Who has the testimony of Jesus? The prophets, right? It's the gift of prophecy. That's very, very clear in the book of Revelation. The book of especially written for the last days. I am of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book, worship God. Now let's look at one more verse in Revelation chapter 12. 
Let's back up now to Revelation chapter 12 and verse 17. And this is a description of God's last day people. God's last day people are described in very clear terms here. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 17. The Bible says the dragon, Satan, was wroth, angry with the woman. We don't have time to study all the symbols of Revelation, but a woman in Bible prophecy represents the church. And a pure woman represents a pure church. An impure woman represents a false church, an impure church. That's the the theme in the book of Revelation. And it says, The dragon was angry with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the what? Testimony of Jesus Christ. To, To give you a summary, Revelation 12 speaks of the Christian church history from the time of Christ to the time of the end. There would be a time of 1,260 days or 42 months here in this period when the church would go into hiding. The woman would have wings to fly into the wilderness. We believe this predicted the great time of papal persecution between 538 and 1798 when those who kept the Word of God had to hide the Word of God. It was actually illegal for a time to have the Word of God in in your home. But after this time, there would a remnant emerge. So sometime after the, the beginning of the 19th century, there would be a remnant. A remnant of what? The apostolic church. There would be a group of people emerge who would still have the faith once delivered to the saints, who would be disciples of Jesus and teach what He taught and live like He lived and believe what He believed. And notice the two characteristics that are, that are specifically pointed out that this group of people would have. They would keep the commandments of God, and they would what? Have the testimony of Jesus Christ. That means, friends, from our study this morning, that means there should be, in God's last day people, a manifestation of the gift of prophecy. Are you with me? Now, some people are critical of the gift of prophecy. But the apostle says, despise not prophesying, test all things, prove all things, and hold fast that which is true. If there were no, to be no prophecies at the end, uh, no prophets at the end of time, Jesus would not have said, beware of false prophets. He would have said, beware of prophets. Right? But clearly, at the end of time, there are still to be, there is still to be the gift of prophecy. And the book of Revelation specifically uh, defines God's last day people as having the gift of prophecy. Now, if you're teaching prophecy or you're claiming to be a prophet, for your own benefit or because you just want to put some writings of some person or some or yourself above the Bible, then shame on you. That's heresy. But if, in fact, the Bible teaches that in the last days there should be the manifestation of the gift of prophecy, it would be heresy not to believe it. That is not putting someone above the Bible. That is simply believing what the Bible says. Amen? Notice with me our scripture for today, and this is our cl- we're going to close with this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want you to see what Paul was saying here now as, after maybe unpacking some of these phrases and terminologies and looking, comparing scripture with scripture. Very similar to what's said in Ephesians 4, that these gifts were given till the end to bring about maturity in the church and the, the body of Christ. But notice with me 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 4. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. Are you thankful for the grace of Jesus? Are you thankful Paul put first things first? (laughs) I'm so thankful that we come here today not because we're good enough to be here, but because of the grace of God. But Paul's also thankful, he says in verse 5, that in everything you are enriched by Him in all utterance and in all knowledge, even, he says, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. What's he saying? In Corinth, there were those who had been given the gift of prophecy. And Paul is thankful. And he says, so that you come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming, the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I'm thankful today that just like in Corinth, God who is faithful will not leave His church without gifts. 
God who is faithful will not leave His people without comfort, without the Comforter. The Holy Spirit who was given forever to God's people, to God's church, is still giving gifts to men. He's still giving and endowing believers in all parts of the world with the gifts of the Spirit. And they're all different. We all have different strengths, different, different uh, abilities. But God has especially given, until the time of the end, the gift of prophecy. And this afternoon we're going to be exploring this more. But I just want to invite you this morning to join me in thanking Jesus for the great gift of His Holy Spirit. Thanking Jesus for promising to return to the Father and give us the Comforter. Not only that, promising one day to return to us. Because as wonderful as the gift of the Holy Spirit is, friends, there's something I'm longing for even more, and that's to be seeing Jesus face to face. To be able to cast my crown at His feet and to say it's only by Your grace, only by Your mercy, that I'm here today. You thankful for that? Let's pray. Father in heaven, today we just want to thank you for giving us the wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit. Lord, it's so easy for us to get caught up in our daily lives. We need that Spirit to remind us of Jesus. We need that translation from ink on paper to what would Jesus do that only the Holy Spirit can give. We need the gifts for evangelism. Lord, at a time when the believers didn't speak any other languages but one, you empowered the church to reach the world through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, you can still work those miracles today. We want, we want to be used by you to bless others. We thank you not only for the gift of tongues which you've given to the church, we thank you also for the gift of prophecy. We thank you that men of old, moved by the Holy Ghost, spoke and wrote as they were moved, and, and they, they transmitted to us the testimony of Jesus. We thank you for the angel Gabriel and his helping us understand this gift. We thank you for the prophet John. And we thank you for promising to manifest this gift also in the last days in your church. And we just want to pray that you would bless us as we, as we understand your word. Help us to be more thankful every day for the wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit, for the wonderful gift of Jesus, for the wonderful promise that he'll come again and receive us unto himself that where He is, we can also be. We look forward to that day. We pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit, that day might be hastened. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.